In an online world that never sleeps, you can't afford to be off ever. So how do you keep rooms full, guests raving, costs down, and staff happy? SiteMiner is the world's leading hotel commerce platform that provides hoteliers like you with the tools you need to sell, market, manage, and grow your hotel business all from a single dashboard. It allows you to be present among top booking channels, connect with your guests, build loyalty, and boost revenue. This intuitive platform has everything you need to succeed in the world of online hotel commerce. To learn more and get 50% off your first six months of a 12-month contract, visit siteminder.com forward slash principles. That's siteminder.com forward slash principles. I think one of the major problems of the industry is that decisions are very, very long-term. And it's very difficult to test and iterate because like, especially the large players who typically have the capital to, to invest in technology or to try new things, when they want to change something, it's a huge move. They have to change it in 20, 30,000 hotel rooms to still have the standardized processes. And if you have this legacy, it's very difficult. It has a lot of consequences to actually change something. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Dr. Joseph Vollmeyer. He's the founder and managing director of Limehome, a European hospitality company with over 3,000 managed units and is built on digitizing the guest experience and day-to-day operations. The discussion about automation and tech advances in hospitality have been coming up a lot lately. If you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast, we often try to answer the questions around high-touch service versus automated and remote guest journeys. This is a subject that Limehome has been working on since its inception, and it's one that they may have solved. Joseph shares insights into how the company came to be, how they're looking at the industry, their business model, and how commercial real estate professionals are approaching the next six to 12 months. If you're at all connected to tech, automation, and guest service, this episode is for you. So let's get to it. This is episode 106 of the Proven Principles podcast, Dr. Joseph Vollmeyer on digitizing hospitality. Enjoy. Joseph, it's so good to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Why don't you give everybody a rundown on who you are and how did you get to the point of being CEO of Limehome? It's uh, a good question, actually. Um, so I'm Joseph, jo- Joseph Vollmeyer, founder and managing director of Limehome. And uh, my background is actually not in hospitality. Um, I was a management consultant at McKinsey. And I still consider myself as uh, quite a newcomer to the hospitality space, although we started four years ago. Um, we basically started a tech-enabled operator in the short-term rental space in Europe. And um, yeah, from the beginning on, we started with the ambition to digitize the entire value chain, to be able to manage overnight stays, both in the front end, but also in the back end without any manual interaction. And now we have reached around 3,000 apartments in Europe. When you were working with McKinsey, did you were you in the hospitality space or was there something that led you to think that there might be a business opportunity here? No, actually, I was uh, mainly working for private equity clients uh, in beautifying their uh, business that they have invested in. And I did not have a lot of contact with the hospitality space besides obviously spending many nights in hotels uh, across the world. Mm-hmm. I think if I sum them all up, it's probably 
four digit number. So <laughs> more, more than you care to admit yeah. to. <laughs> so uh, it was more, um, user end user experience that yeah. over time led you to find that there might be some efficiencies that could be gained yeah, in the industry. I think that that's interesting. What was it? What, you know, as a, there's so many directions we could go here, but as a new entrant into hospitality, I, I can still remember the first time I worked in a big hotel and it was overwhelming and it continued to be fairly overwhelming as I went up the ladder into more senior roles, uh, just to understand the landscape. Cause the higher up you go, the wider it seems to get because you're exposed to more. I'm curious from your perspective, was there something in the industry in what you were trying to do that you were really surprised by where you're like, where you were kind of like, Oh, that's surprised you guys do it this way. Yeah. I think actually several factors. I think the first one is, it's probably quite an easy one. I was super surprised how big the industry actually is. Um, I could never imagine that there is like, for instance, in Germany, that there are around 1 million, uh, hotel rooms wow. for 18 million people. So I, I could never imagine that. Um, so this was one of the first uh, points. And then secondly, um, I mean, obviously it's, it's a very process heavy industry. Um, and there are a lot of actually very iterative processes. And I was really surprised in such an industry, which is so strong in optimizing processes, uh, in like the large hotel chains is super efficient, but no one really thought about how to automate these processes, uh, because obviously there are so many of them, they're always iterative. And this was really surprising, like to me, um, mm -hmm. and that so many players are still so profitable with, without actually like starting the digitaliz digitization there. That's a good point. What, you know, I've had quite a few conversations about digitization in the industry and there's, there seems to be a lot of reasons why it has, it's only now starting to take off. And I think there's still probably some, um, resistance to it, uh, in the industry. And I think it's everything from, this is how we've, we've always done it to brand standards, to not really knowing what the right tech tool is for the industry. Um, you know, maybe a misunderstanding of what guests are expecting from the brand these days. I think there's a lot of things that fall into that. Um, did you find that being a new entrant into the space made it a lot easier for you to actually uh, kind of come out with a new business model. It seems like a very kind of intuitive or intuitively answered question here. Yes, obviously it is easier because you don't have the baggage with you, but when you're a new entrant and you don't have a lot of experience in hospitality, I could see those two things maybe butting up against one another. Cause you know, maybe if you're working with consultants as you're starting the company, like they, maybe they bring an old way of looking at things to how you're trying to do things in a new way. I'm just, I'm curious to get your take on, on, you know, how, how do you really come in and disrupt such a, such a large and arguably kind of old and stale industry? The fresh view or let's say unbiased view on how things are done is definitely helpful. And it also, I think it gives you more or less the right to try out things, to make errors, and you need to be able to make errors. And it's also super important to be able to start something like Greenfield because 
I think one of the major problems of the industry is that decisions are very, very long-term and it's very difficult to test and iterate because like, especially the large players who typically have the capital to, to invest in technology or to try out new things, when they want to change something, it's a huge move. They have to change it in 20, 30,000 hotel rooms uh, to still have the standardized processes. And if you have this legacy, it's very difficult. It has a lot of consequences to actually change something. Um, and they also have a, a huge base of loyal customers. So if they're not like taking on the communicative journey that something is changing, um, it's very risky for, for the established players to actually change something. On the other hand, it's also, it, it's an industry which is heavily relying on, I would say, personal relationships and private networks because still having a great location um, like is a guarantee for success. You can still change a lot of things with uh, digitization, but if you don't have great location um, and like proper real estate, rental contracts, lease contracts or management contracts, you can never make it really successful. And of course, for a new player like us, um, it took quite some time to build up a brand and to establish a footprint, um, to actually get good locations. Um, and getting there is typically quite capital intense. So it's an industry which, which makes it quite difficult actually for new entrants. And we obviously were quite lucky to have investors early on to, to give us some resources to actually try out things. So it's not even a, a case of like, you know, if you build it in, it's something cool, new and interesting, they're going to come. There's such a, there's a whole other real estate side of the business that yeah. you need to be plugged into and you have to kind of play within that arena almost first and then come up with the concept sort of maybe in, in at parallel. And then at yeah. some point, hopefully those two lines come together. Just maybe one thought to, to add here. I think what's, what's also super relevant here um, is that labor in the hospitality industry historically was very cheap. I guess, I don't know exactly about the American market, but like for instance, in, in Germany, in, in Europe, people used to work on minimum salaries and it was very cheap. People start with interns. Um, people just love the space because it's a great space. And you, especially in, in the entry positions, uh, wages were very low. So there was not a lot of pressure actually to take out these inefficiencies in these processes just because of the low uh, salary costs. And, and, and now many things have changed in, in Europe, like there are minimum wages everywhere. Like for instance, in Germany, the minimum wage has increased by 25% 1st of October, um, like right this year. And this has a huge impact actually on, on how hotels need to operate. Yeah. And ultimately with guest pay, you can just see how that, the, you know, that's an inflationary, um, uh, it's hate to say tactic, but you know, yeah, that just starts driving up costs across the board. Yeah. I, I think you're totally right. It's the same situation over here. Um, and, uh, you, if you layer on the fact that so many people have left the industry for various reasons, um, that that's, what's driving a lot of the digitization digitization efforts uh over here are you seeing the same thing in europe um yeah indeed like there is there is definitely a lack of personnel um yeah 
many hotels need to block or to keep rooms unoccupied because uh, people just moved away from the industry. Um, I mean, during the COVID times, um, this trend obviously has accelerated. Many people did not return. Um, and in general, like the population is aging, uh, there's less workforce available. Um, so this is something I think the entire industry needs, needs to, to work on. So you've got over 3000 doors, 3000 units, uh, across Europe. What's the model that you guys are running? Yeah, I think it's, it's actually like a quite typical startup approach to, to large industries. Um, so we actually thought about how to, from an outside perspective, first of all, can we make it more efficient? And the first approach is typically you centralize things. Um, so we basically centralized all functions, which typically happen in a hotel, and then we digitize them. We try to automate them. And we're now basically able to operate our around 100 properties without any own personnel on site um, due to the, the tech solutions we have built. Um, and like, for instance, when it comes to the centralized functions, this includes basically what you typically find at receptions. Um, it of course also includes channel management, revenue management, reservation management, payment, um, but also basically everything which needs to be done on site when it comes to maintenance, housekeeping, we manage it from the headquarter, but we have then third party providers at the locations, which are fully flexible for us. So basically we only pay if we need them. We don't have um, own personnel there. And then we standardize a lot um, to take out as much complexity as possible in operations. So for instance, we have the same furniture. We order furniture directly from the supplier as it comes to a warehouse. Uh, and then it's exactly the same everywhere. We are very fast in replacing it, for instance. Um, and when it comes to what still needs to happen on site, such as housekeeping, linen and so forth, we only work with um, external um, providers. And last but not least, to keep this lean and manageable, we also outsource any, let's say, complex additional services to partners. So services such as food and beverages um, can be booked via the digital journey, but we don't do them ourselves. And I think this is also one of the large trends because um, I don't believe that hotels are always the best locations to offer great food. There right. are some hotels which are great, uh, but there is much more um, variety outside of the hotel. And if you're able to connect this to the journey, I think this is, um, it's a lean and um, quite favorable approach also to the guests. Yeah, you know, you bring up a really interesting point because there's a strong argument to be made that, and I can tell you from experience, you know, a lot of hotel restaurants don't make any money and it's, it's really an amenity more than it is a, a service or more than it is a revenue center, I should say. And so there's a strong argument to be made whether you should have a hotel restaurant at all on your property. And if you do, is a better use for that square footage in your building to be used as a meeting room or some sort of gathering space rather than, you know, a, a one, two or three meal a day restaurant. And so, yeah, you're right. There's um, the allowing people to take advantage of the location where the property's in. And part of that is getting out and experiencing the food and beverage in the city. And maybe you get out and you find a new neighborhood or, you know, some shops, whatever it is. And it actually, 
while you think you may be pulling away from the guest experience by not offering meals in-house, you could, on the other side of that coin, be enhancing the guest experience because they're getting out and experiencing the location. And I think that... I think we're starting to see that happen a little bit more over here. But yeah, I, I think the you know, your your point about bringing in contractors and other service providers, people that are experts in a specific thing where your company doesn't need to develop that internal expertise and the, the cost associated with that, and you don't have the uh, the the expense load at the same time. Um, when you're determining what sort of a contractor or service provider you're going to work with do you what's the vetting process like because they they also have to kind of lean into the experience that lime home is trying to provide for their people you can't just hire anybody and have them come in and start making food or start cleaning rooms so how do you how do you vet vendors that's actually it's a very difficult uh, question because when we think about like offering additional services the key is to have a scalable solution, which is very difficult. It's hard to find the same operators in every city. Um, so first, of course, you try to have a scalable solution, but then you need to incorporate the guest wishes. And the first one is distance to the property. Um, so basically, the closer it is, the better it needs to be. And then it needs to also um, basically fulfill, um, let's say, the availability requirements. Um, when it comes to breakfast, people like need to have breakfast quite early on. It needs to be open every day. Um, and this is, I think, a process which uh, still takes a lot of effort. When we talk about the future, and I think this is then in the end also the solution, um, the key will be not that we ourselves pick actually the service providers, but we open basically up our solution which which we're offering to our guests um we call it guest hub where the guest basically can in a sort of a cockpit manage his entire stay that this guest hub is open to external providers to offer their services to the guests and then the guests can actually self-select um what they want um and it also keeps you a little bit more independent that you actually curate stuff for the guest uh, and you to make you need to make sure that the quality is actually uh, consistent and fulfills the guest wishes, but the guests have the chance to to choose. Um, it's also not super complex. It just requires a slightly different approach to how you basically set up the processes because someone else needs to be able to to offer their products. So a bit more of the platform approach. And this is, to my point of view, the solution in the in the midterm. You mentioned um, before we started recording, you were at a real estate conference. Um, largest in Europe, I think you said, or one of the largest. Um, what's the what's the 30,000 foot view of what's going on right now? You know, you talk to a lot of developers and asset managers. What's what's the sense for hospitality out there right now? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a strange time, uh, to be honest, because I think the hospitality industry has been in, in an upheaval for several years already now it's definitely in a, a turmoil. So since the COVID years and actually, especially since the last six months and why, um, I mean, obviously the whole digitization has started, right? Guest needs have changed a lot with the rise of Airbnb. Um, and now people just need different types of accommodation also with remote work, like much more blurred lines between business and leisure travel. 
more family travel, remote work. And now obviously the labor shortages, the price increases have a huge impact. And last but not least, I think this is what you um, also wanted to talk about. The real estate markets have entirely changed. And for us on the demand side, the market has never been better. It's insane. We have a lot of recovery travel, like companies are um, like doing events like crazy. Everyone is going to fairs, um, ADRs, occupancy rates are insane. At the same time, the real estate markets have basically collapsed. And still the players or basically the developers or asset holders, they still have price expectations uh, as they used to be before the interest rates increased. Um, they still paid the high development costs because of the shortages of construction workers uh, and material. And on the end, the prices are super high, but we all know this will not. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time with like basically 10% inflation in two consecutive, consecutive years, the available income will just decrease in the end by 20%. And of course people will in the end, uh, save on travel. Uh, it's one of the first basically spending positions you can save. And at the same time, the real estate prices will definitely go down by 30, 35%. This is what we sometimes already see. Um, so I think it's a mistake now to be super bullish on, uh, what we can observe on the demand side. And, um, I think being a bit careful, um, being conservative in planning is, is, is key. And I think all these factors are quite difficult to manage because it's very intriguing actually to, to expand like crazy. Yeah. I get the sense that we're going to run through a bit of a summer travel, um, uh, the momentum through the summer will carry us into the Christmas season yeah. and Christmas season will probably be pretty strong compared to the last couple of years. And then as soon as Christmas is over, that's the cliff and it'll, yeah. will, it'll just be, you know, as it usually is, it just might, I, th I have a feeling it's going to be a lot more severe in 2023 than it typically is after, after New Year's and probably run right through as we sort of figure out everything that's going on in the world and with the economy right now. So yeah, I, I see it being very difficult to get a, a, any clarity at all on what spring and summer next year are going to look like. Um, yeah. cause it's just too many dynamics. No, I agree. And at the same time, um, like the energy prices have increased by almost 250, 300%. So basically the cost base for energy per room is hundred to 150 euros or dollars higher. At the same time, labor costs went up by 20%. Uh, so in the end, just to cover the costs, hotels need to increase their prices only to increase, to cover these two cost positions by 10 euros or $10 per night. Um, and people will not be able to afford it. So I think there will be less demand for sure. That's a good, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Cause we may be at the, the, the ceiling, the, the, the resistance level is we're already like, we're touching it, right? right now um which i don't want to put you on the spot with this question uh, but it, you bring up an interesting thought here for a company that has been built and runs to be highly efficient when we end up in in i mean we haven't been in a situation like this so it's it's sort of a thought experiment more than it is because i'm sure you're working through it right now but as we're running up against these things that might affect uh, uh, 
flow through and you know your PL. Typically in a hotel, you've got little levers that you can manipulate to find more efficiency when the market demands it. But when you're built as a hyper-efficient company, are those levers um, less obvious or other than driving, trying to drive additional revenue, are, are there still places that you can manipulate a little bit to adjust to the market conditions? It's, it's a good question. Uh, I think, to be honest, on, on a property level, um, there are not many levers we can pull on short term. There might be some levers like you, you change a little bit the layout, you change a little bit your, basically your sales approach, but in the end, they don't have a huge impact, to be honest. What we still can do, and this is, I think, to a certain level, also the beauty of our model, um, we still have quite a big overhead. We have 50 software engineers. Um, we have a huge expansion team, for instance. And um, of course, we need this team to, to achieve our expansion goals and also to improve basically our tech solution over time. But in case we, we struggle, um, this is of course a, a lever you can easily pull. Um, we are, despite the large overhead and like our growth, EBDA positive already after four years. I mean, we have tripled our revenues every year. Um, and these are in the end, the levers we can pull, um, basically slow down the growth to, to increase the profitability of the business. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. And, you know, as a new entrant being, uh, flow positive, uh, after only a few years is pretty, pretty rare, pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, I, I get the sense, I talked to a lot of people wanting to get into short-term rentals, um, want, they want to grow their business and a lot of them don't have hospitality backgrounds. Um, and I think some of them butt up against the credibility question. Well, if you've never done it before, how do we know that you're going to be able to do it? So it is somebody who came in without a lot of, or really any hospitality experience other than being you know, maybe a, a platinum level customer, a <laughs> double platinum customer. Um, how did you approach this? How, how did you get over that initial um, hurdle of, of coming in and having this great business model, but maybe investors saying, yeah, I mean, good idea, but do you really know the industry? I think we, we started small and we started in small cities. Um, so our model actually allowed us to to establish a footprint where there was not a lot of competition um, because we are in the end able to operate even very small properties, let's say 10, 15 rooms in a building um, where no one was willing to go to. This is how we established our first footprint. Um, and then now we have 50% of our, of our supply of our apartments, basically in a cities like Madrid, Berlin and so forth. Um, but we had to step up the ladder. Um, on the investor base, like typically the investors you have in the beginning, they are not necessarily focused on hospitality businesses. Right? So our investors were also venture capital investors and typically having a, a good team. And we had a team also with uh, some hospitality experience in the beginning, technology ex experience, having a, a huge market and being able to show some pilot cases which worked well um, I think was convincing enough to to get us the resources to 
to establish this footprint. So you build small, you start small, and then you just iterate over time. Exactly. And I think we, we are still, um, for some really large properties in, in ACGs, we, they still like doubt our credibility. And uh, in the end, we have the numbers. We can, we can show it. Um, and this typically then is enough. So what's next for Limehome? Where do you guys go from here? First, it's about uh, having enough buffer in the plan um, to, to stay conservative and also to um, basically achieve our growth ambitions. I believe there will be a lot of consolidation um, happening over the next one, two years, um, I think for the reasons we discussed. So I'm, I'm happy to uh, also go this path. Um, and when it in the end comes to expansion and our technology uh, side of the get, of the play. So we just opened up an entity in Italy. Um, this will be our next market. And then next year we will also establish our first footprint in the UK. So we, we believe the model is uh, basically ready for Europe uh, as a total. Um, we're present in seven countries and um, uh, that's in the end the ambition to be to, to be everywhere and on the tech side um the the key challenge i think besides automating every little use case which is out there because it's still a people business and you can never stop automating in the end the huge challenge um i think as i mentioned is about building this platform to increase the service level over time because we have a great product around the stay um nicely designed apartments and the journey works quite flawless and actually reaching a service level of let's say a four-star hotel is quite a challenge in a digital way and having a product which actually for this price range is a great substitute for the personal relationship um, guests can build up with the people on site this is uh, i think a life goal um, and something we started to work on, but most likely we'll never stop working on. Yeah. Yeah. You bring up a really good point. The, you know, how do you marry, uh, efficiency and light staff touch with personalization and a high level of service that is largely self-directed by the guest? That's, that's the hard question to answer. I think it's not an either or question. Because in, in the end, all these iterative processes, you can just automate, right? And if you're able to operate without any people, any personnel there, um, it doesn't hurt you a lot to put one person there who's just there for, for guest service, who's the only person who can build up the relationships, who can basically create this brand loyalty, um, which is, I think, important to a certain level. So it's not an either or, it's just a question of where does it make sense from which scale on how many guests, um, how many rooms do you have in a, in a location to actually justify this cost and this effort and how much you want to invest actually in the brand. Because it's, it's not ultimately necessary. You can build a great business without having a great brand in this industry because the entire distribution network is out there, which is working very, very well. And if you're willing to basically, uh, justify the booking commissions via booking.com Expedia and so forth. You don't even need it and you can still build a, an amazingly profitable business. So this is just a strategic question in the end. 
That's interesting. And I imagine that there's some uh, established hotel companies that see that this expertise is being developed outside of their four walls that might be interested in what a company like yours is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's great. Indeed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Joseph, uh, this is a, a great conversation. I appreciate you giving us an insight into what's going on uh, over in Europe and what's happening with Lime Home. If anybody wants to get a hold of you or learn more about what you're up to, where should they go? I like Madrid a lot. It's an amazing city. Uh, you have a great uh, variety of Lime Home properties. So just check them out wherever you would like to go. Uh, it's, it has great food, great weather, great city, great people. That's yeah. I agree. Actually, I was there uh, earlier this year. I completely, completely agree. Um, next time we're in Europe, we'll we'll definitely look at one of your properties to stay at. What's the the best way to get a hold of you and learn more about Lime Home? If if anybody's interested in seeing your properties and um, learning a little bit more about the company, Brave New World. I think uh, just text me on LinkedIn. Uh, you will find me. Uh, <laughs> there is no other Joseph Vollmeyer. This, this new thing called the internet. I don't know if you've heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So just contact me. I'm checking it quite regularly and then happy to talk about our exciting business and this exciting industry. Great, Joseph. I appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot, Adam. It was great fun. This was my episode with Dr. Joseph Vollmeyer. You can find him on LinkedIn and learn more about Limehome at limehome.com. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For past episodes or to get in touch with us, just go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at the Proven Principles Podcast, or you can find us on LinkedIn. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time. <laughs>